Okay, so now we're at the set part of our forum meeting where I can introduce our guest speaker uh, this month. And uh, I'd like to introduce someone I've known for quite a few months now. Um, uh, I call you a friend as well as a colleague, uh, Jay. So Jay Shabit, um, I'll let you introduce yourself, your background, and, uh, and also the topic that we're going to be covering today. Um, so I'll take it away. Okay, yeah, thanks, Andrew. So uh, yeah, briefly, my name is uh, Jay Shavit, as Andrew mentioned. Thanks, everybody, for, uh, for attending. So a little bit about me. Um, I began my career working for an airline called U.S. Airways, which isn't around anymore. They're merged with them. They're, they're now American Airlines. Worked there for a few, a few years, and I worked for Air France as well for a few years in the pricing, revenue management side. So that was my experience directly in the airline industry. But most of my career for 16 years, in fact, I wrote a newsletter about the airline industry. Now, I focused uh, on the passenger side of the industry. I know this being a logistics conference, there's probably a lot of interest on the cargo set as well. Um, that wasn't my area of expertise. Um, it, was, it was passenger focused. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be speaking about today, um, just briefly uh, to, to sort of conclude my little bio here. Uh, after um, I, I wound up selling my, my newsletter in 2018, uh, worked um, for the acquiring company for two years, and for the last uh, year plus, I'm now writing a newsletter about the U.S. economy and another one about the North American railroad industry. That's a little bit about exciting me. Uh, so now moving on to the even more exciting. Well, Jay, you have to share. What's the name of the one that you're doing for the U.S. Uh, railroad industry called? Uh, there, I, I'm not very creative with names. Uh, the airline one was Airline Weekly. The railroad one is Railroad Weekly. The economy one was Econ Weekly. So easy to remember. <laughs> okay. I'm not terribly creative, but easy to remember. So. Okay. No, yeah. that's, that, that's fine. We, we can all remember that. Yes. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So yeah, um, let me pull up my presentation here. Uh, I'm going to share my screen. Hopefully this will work nice and smoothly. Can everybody see that? That's there. I, we can see it. Yes. All, all's well. I, okay. I would also suggest we, if we all kind of take off our video, then we'll get the full full screen. I'm not sure that we're not well. Not necessarily you, um, Jay. You can keep your video on. To, mm -hmm. We'll take ours off and should get a better picture. Okay. Yeah. All so, right. I'll I'll let you start. Yeah. So if everybody's good, uh, and just at any time, obviously interrupt uh, if there's. Uh, Anything. I guess we'll do questions at the end, but if anything's uh, you know burning, burning to be asked, uh, <laughs> no worries about an interruption. But uh, I'm going to speak about uh, the the U.S. airline industry as it stands today. Um, uh, again, we're going to focus on the passenger side, and I have a few slides to go through. I'm not going to hit on every point, and you know some of them I may not even some of the points I may not even mention at all. But obviously, they're there for you to you know have a look at them. If you want to ask about any of them afterwards, that's kind of, you know, that's what I'm here for. But we'll breeze through. I'll try to, you know, hit on the major points and kind of give you a sense, sort of a 30,000 foot view of what's going on in the industry, 
you know, if you were, so I, I don't know, you know, your backgrounds exactly. Some of you may, you know, have, have some familiarity, some, some may be new to the industry, but in any case, um, just some important takeaways that'll kind of give you a feel for what's going on right now. But uh, we could, before we do now, we're going to start with the past. Um, if there's, if there's one thing I want everybody to know about the airline industry, it's uh, that it is an absolutely lousy and miserable business. Uh, which isn't to say that uh, there haven't been very successful airlines that have made a lot of money. Um, it's not to say that there hasn't been entrepreneurs and, and people that have made good money. It's also not to say that there haven't been other people, uh, non-airlines, making a lot of money off of airlines, selling things to airlines. Um, it's a big, the, the airline industry is a big ecosystem. There's a lot of players, everyone from you know the, the, the people that sell airlines their airplanes to the people that do their information technology to the airports to the, and so on. So it's a very large industry, but it's also a very, if you're an airline yourself, it is a very difficult industry. The economics are, are very unforgiving. It's very capitally intensive. In other words, it requires a lot of money. It's also very labor intensive, requires a lot of people. Um, and you're also at the mercy of pretty much anything that goes on that's bad in the world. So if you read some bad headline in the newspaper, chances are that's going to mess up an airline's business. And obviously the, the, the biggest and baddest example of that was the COVID-19 epidemic, which absolutely decimated the industry. Um, it is a very cyclical business as well. Um, I have this little chart here that just kind of, um, you know, this is being, this is overgeneralizing a little bit, but just to give you a feel, um, I started in the airline industry right out of college in, in the late 1990s. And the industry at that time was very, very profitable. Fuel price, I don't, anybody know what oil prices are we're trading at today? Any, uh, I haven't seen today's number, but uh, any, any numbers out there you want to throw out? Most, most probably a hundred, I would think. About a hundred, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, do you know, anybody know what oil was in 1998? Anybody want to take a stab? 32. Yeah, 32 is a good guess for briefly, it was below 10. <laughs> so it, you can see just the wild fluctuations. Um, and uh, we've even seen that you don't even have to go back to the late nineties. I mean, last right at the very, very worst of COVID, it was uh, briefly, it, uh, it, oil was trading actually at zero for a while. It was like, neg I think it was negative for a while. So now that was a kind of an extreme and extraordinary, unusual circumstance, but um, but in any case, uh, very, very, very volatile cost base for the airline industry. But then the 2010s was actually a pretty stable industry. I'm talking about the U.S. airlines here specifically. Uh, and the reason for that stability had a lot to do with consolidation. There are other reasons as well. We used to call them the three C's, the consolidation, charging for everything, which is ancillary revenues. I have to make it a C. And the other C was uh, capacity cuts. There was just a lot of co more capacity discipline. So a lot of reasons, but 2010s was you know pretty good. And then um, uh, of course the 2020s have just started off absolutely miserably because of because of COVID. Um, moving on to the next slide, just a few words about cost. Uh, I like to I like to do. Uh, you can see I like my little uh, you know three C's three P's. I'm going to say the three P's are very important uh, when you're talking about airline costs. So one of them I'm not sure if I have this. Uh, yeah, I do have this in the screen here at the bottom. Um, people, planes, and petroleum. Again, it's I'm really talking about jet fuel there, but I have to come up with something that you know 
it's to, to do my to, to make the three P's work. I got to I got to do something. So petroleum works, but you get the gist. I mean, those are the three biggest cost items, um, and there's uh, we won't go through unless anybody you know later feel free to ask. But the as far as people, the labor trends um, won't really say too much about that now. There's been a lot of volatility in that over the course of the COVID crisis. Um, as far as planes. Planes are surprisingly, um, the values of planes have surprisingly, they held up pretty well. Um, if you wanna get a, uh, a typical Boeing 737 right now, which is you know sort of the most common um, plane along with the Airbus A320 for you know, shorter journeys, we're not talking about you know, long haul overseas trips here, that's a different story. But for the, you know, the most popular, what we call narrow body aircraft, um, it's actually not, you know, the values are, pretty firm. They've, they've, it's, there's, there's still a lot of demand, believe it or not. A lot of planes have been retired and whatnot. So, so supply and demand balance didn't get too disrupted. Uh, and if we go to the next slide is, is on the revenue side and demand side, demand is actually very, very strong right now, not for all segments. So if you are an airline that has a lot of exposure to China, you know, flying uh, people from New York to China, for example, Los Angeles, China, that's basically, that's, that's non-existent right now. And that's not coming back anytime soon. Longer term, we'll see. But China, believe it or not, was actually never too big of a market for the U.S. airlines. Um, China, I mean, one thing that I do, you know, as I'm covering the economy, ah. China just, <laughs> anyway, okay. Oh, oh. Let me see if I can mute uh, Tom's phone. <laughs> is that a, is that a mute issue? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Um. Oh, here we go. <laughs> okay. Go yeah. No worries. So um. Yeah. So I was just mentioning about China, Japan, also tough. My Asia in general still still tough. Um. Anything domestic, especially leisure domestic. Florida, I can tell you Miami is much busier now than it was even before the COVID crisis. Um, that's the case, uh, you know, Cancun, uh, Phoenix, you know, you know, places with a lot of sunshine and uh, just two years of really pent up demand that's, that's really being unleashed right now. Uh, and even I was listening, Delta Airlines actually reported their first quarter financial results yesterday. And in their call, they seem to say that even though fuel prices are going up a lot, they're still able to uh, to get the pricing up to, to the point where they're, they're going to make a lot of money in the second quarter. They did lose a lot of money in the first quarter, but that partially due to seasonal factors and whatever. We won't get into that, but but um, it's going to be a very, very strong spring and summer. And you may have questions, you know, do, do I think business business passengers are coming back? Coming back? Do, you, do you know, is Europe coming back? And, you know, happy to field any of those in, in the Q&A. Um, but uh, I have here, you know, you'll see a, a few um, points that I outlined in this chart, you know, that, that, that some of the business demand, corporate demand is a little bit slower to come back, but it is coming back. And even Europe too. Um, Europe, uh, Delta said yesterday that Europe is very much, um, you know, pe people are booking. It's, uh, there's still some hesitancy because, you know, people are afraid if they wind up testing positive for COVID over there, they might have trouble getting back and, and whatnot. But, but it is a, um, it's coming back. Um, what, what, they, what they also said is that pretty much any time that a country uh, relaxes their travel restrictions, whether it be Korea, Australia, you know, somewhere in Europe, um, immediately Delta sees bookings go up. So the demand is definitely there. 
Um, there is a, just one note about cargo. Cargo, as you guys probably know, um, extremely strong. So cargo really uh, um, benefited uh, a lot of, uh, or few of the airlines um, quite substantially during the pandemic. It was a real lifesaver for, for some of them. Uh, in fact, some of them even continued to fly to places like Japan um, and even, even China because of the cargo demand. So they'd fly, you know, with, with an, the, the, the seats would be empty, but they would fly with, uh, you know, very lucrative cargo and it was worthwhile. So that's, that's still holding up well. Now, not every U.S. airline even carries cargo. So it's just a select few. So a um, few other big points. The one probably most interesting thing on this slide is that there's a big uh, kind of merger sweepstakes now in play. So Spirit Airlines, which is what we call an ultra low cost carrier. Um, you, some of you may have flown them. They're defined by uh, this, this kind of business model, very successful business model, by the way, um, defined by uh, you know, very, very tight seating configurations, cram as many seats in the plane as possible, um, charging for absolutely everything, uh, you know, nickel and diming you here and there and there. But, but it's actually, a, um, like I said, it, it, it's, it's a business model that has been very successful. Um, people like low prices. There's an old adage in the airline industry, low cost always wins. So, you know, one of the ways you keep your costs low or your unit costs very low in the airline industry is that you cram a lot of units into, into the plane and you do a lot of things like that to keep, keep things low. So uh, Spirit is now um, sort of the object of desire for two airlines. First Frontier, I think it was in March, they made a bid to take it over and Spirit agreed. But then JetBlue came in last week and said, no, no, we want it. We'll pay a little bit more. So we'll see, you know, is Frontier going to make a counter bid? I don't know. Uh, will Spirit, you know, shareholders reject the JetBlue? I don't know. Hard to say. But, um, but it'd be interesting to play out. Now, JetBlue, interestingly, is not an ultra low cost carrier. Frontier is. So that'll be, uh, that'll be somewhat of a, uh, add a layer of complexity to the integration if they wind up merging. Um, so keep an eye on that. Uh, you may have heard about the regional pilot shortage, uh, a few things. Um, uh, that's another thing I mentioned on here. Um, and yes, and keep in mind, uh, and sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place here, that the U.S. economy does happen to be very strong right now, um, just in terms of the consumer demand, consumer spending. People have money in their pockets. Businesses are all-time record profits. Um, so uh, that is very helpful to, to airlines as well. Now, how long will the U.S. economy stay healthy? Mm, there's certain things happening now that have some people worried, uh, Federal Reserve raising interest rates, mortgage rates going up, et cetera. Um, we don't know. Okay, so here I made a little chart for you. And these are, um, this comes from um, a uh, company called Cerium. And just full disclosure, I do some work for Cerium, but uh, I've used them for many, many years, long before uh, I... Um, I did any work for them, but uh, you can see here their statistics. This is by basically the number of seats that are scheduled for the second quarter, which is this current quarter, April, May, and June. Um, Myrtle Beach uh, is the um, the top winner. They're up 39%. This is versus 2009 number of seats. So you can see these places are a lot busier than they were even before the pandemic. And all of them are pretty much... Um, all the top ones you'll see, even if we extended this list down, are pretty much all leisure destinations. 
Now, Austin is a little bit different. Austin just happens to be the hottest economy in the United States. Uh, it's absolutely booming uh, population-wise and you know, just all sorts of tech investment and foreign investment. And so that's sort of the, that's the Austin explanation. Uh, and Burbank, I believe is Southwest Airlines started flying there. So um, I, don't quote me on that, but I believe that's, that's the situation there. Uh, and then you can see on the other side, the losers, which um, is, uh, that list is interesting. So San Francisco, Portland, um, these are a lot of places that have, that have been losing population um, during the pandemic, or they're places where companies are sort of no longer, a lot of people are working from home. They're not going downtown to the offices. So that's hurting the local economy. Um, so yeah, and you'll see a lot of this population related because I know San Francisco of all the big major metros in the US, population, uh, San Francisco has lost the most, San Francisco Metro, which includes San Jose, Silicon Valley. That whole Metro has actually lost the largest percentage of um, population in the 12 months to July. So basically during the pandemic. So that's, you know, you can see if you lose people, well, that's gonna hurt your own industry. So um, yeah, keep asking me any questions about that if you'd like. Here are just two quotations um, for all of you to take away. This is, um, both of these are from March and you can see um, both Delta's chief and American's chief um, saying very clearly that traffic is just very, very strong. It's, um, that's, you know, there's no two ways about that. Um, again, how long will it last? We'll see. Uh, and that comes to the end of my prepared remarks. Um, that's, you know, just a little bit more about me and where you can contact me. Feel free, by the way, to, you know, shoot me an email or whatever. Um, you'd like always happy to, you know, chat airlines, answer questions, whatever. So with that, I think we've got a hand up. So uh, yeah, let's just go to Q&A unless you want to jump in, Andrew. Well, only to invite everybody to put your, uh, you can put your videos back on now. I think we can see each other. In fact, you can uh, probably take off the, the slide, um, oh, yeah. uh, Jay. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just say thank, thank you very much. That, that was that was a great summary. Um, let's let's kind of go through the questions. So we'll start with Jeff, and then we'll we'll go to Adam's one that he posted. Yeah, thanks. Um, comment, if you will, on Delta's uh, refinery at Trainer, Pennsylvania. You know, because I've I've read articles saying that was the smartest thing they did, that was the dumbest thing they did, etc. Right, right. So they did that back. It's uh, I want to say almost ten years now that they they bought a refinery near Philadelphia. And the whole idea was at the time they bought it, and I'm doing this from memory here, but so the, the refining spread, they call it the crack spread. So the difference between the oil price and then the actual price of jet fuel was very, very wide at the time. So the actual cost of, of just doing the refining, let alone the oil, was at the time very, very high. So they figured, well, if we do it ourselves, we can sort of you know hedge against that. Um, over the years, it, it's been probably, my guess is a net negative for them. Now in 2015, actually late 2014, oil prices absolutely crashed. Um, and it's, they stayed pretty low for a couple of years. So I think in retrospect, they were kind of like, well, did we, you know, did we really need that? Um, it's also, you know, it's an added complexity for the business. They kind of manage it separately. Um, so has it really been any kind of game changer for them or any, 
hard to say. Now, what's happening now, of course, you know, oil's going through the roof and crack spreads are going up from what I understand. Um, perhaps there, there's some advantage there. But I, but I think over the long term, it's been kind of a, you know, meh, you know, nothing, nothing too exciting. It's a good question, though. Thanks. Do they still own it, Jay? Did you say? Yeah, yeah, yes. As far as I know, yeah, they. I think they're still still have it. Um, so yeah, some people I've, I've, you know, I've um, heard in the past that there's, you know, there's talk that they they may want to sell it, but but I, as far as I know, they still own it. Yeah, and they used to, and I'd happy to check this for you if you shoot me an email. But they used to actually break out the refineries' um, financial results. You know, they tell you did it make money this quarter, did it lose money. You know, my recollection is that most quarters it lost money, um, but uh, yeah, they. I don't know if they still do that disclosure. Okay. Um, so Adam, you you had two questions. Yeah. Now. Sorry, so I'm, I'm being greedy. I, I just threw through through two, and if I uh, if I made just a second one. So yeah, Jay, thank you. That that's that's fascinating. Uh, really, really. Um, great to hear your insights on that. Um, it was just interesting. I was thinking, um, as you were mentioning about uh, passenger numbers returning, and the CDC yesterday announced that they were extending the mask federal mask mandate for travel. Um, I didn't know if there were any sort of inside stats that you might have been that I have in my head that there's a percentage of people who would really not want to travel uh, either because they're wearing a mask or even conversely may not wish to travel if people aren't wearing masks, if you know what I mean. And then just the second one uh, was in, in the UK, um, you know, we've had the Easter sort of uh, break that's been taking place and there's been sort of widespread disruption, um, you know, loads of flights being cancelled by and large as a result of, um, you know, over the course of the pandemic, airlines uh, laying staff off or asking them to rebid for contracts and that whole piece. Um, that seems to have really bitten. But I've not read uh, a huge amount about that here. Now, that might be the fact that I've totally missed it. It is happening, but it doesn't seem to be the same thing. I'm just curious if you might uh, advise what, what you might have an inside track on on those two points, if that's okay, Jay. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I'm asked first. And it's funny you said that because I was just talking to someone today that told me that, oh, yeah, I was thinking about going to Florida, but who wants to wear a mask for all those things? You know? so, so I think there's some of that. Um, you know, again, demand is great. So it's, you know, it's, uh, obviously not deterring that many people. Um, you know, it's, uh, and like you said, you know, some people do like it, they feel comfortable. Um, so, you know, I haven't seen any stats, you know, I haven't seen any opinion polls or anything like that. Um, but, uh, is it a, you know, material issue for demand? My hunch is no. Uh, I suspect that might be the case. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a, now as, as for, yeah, no, as for like all these operational delays, I mean, it has, has been an issue in the States as well. I think, uh, I don't know if maybe you've seen, I think JetBlue has been having some problems this week even. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and this goes back to something you guys would, you know, are all familiar with uh, just the supply chain, just the supply side of the economy, um, including labor has just been so messed up, (laughs) you know, it's so there's shortages of everything. And it's, it's certain airline industry as well. Um, believe it or not, and I'll get to labor in a second, but believe it or not, there's even a shortage of airplanes. I mean, my friends at Boeing right. tell me, even wide body airplanes, my friends at Boeing tell me that, uh, you know, there, there are people out there, there are airlines out there that are clamoring right now for 787s. They can't get them. And that has to do with production delays, you know, some of the same stuff that's happening throughout the economy. You know, there's all sorts of, you know, parts delays and this and there may be some unique issues with, with Boeing and, you know, I don't know, safety, I'm not sure, but um, 
but yeah, that, that is an issue. And, you know, during the pandemic, airlines just had to, you know, let go a lot, a lot of people. Um, some of it was involuntary, but even the U.S. airlines, even the, in the, here in the U.S., where there was like tremendous amount of federal aid, which was tied to keeping uh, people employed, there were still a lot of um, workforce reductions. Um, a lot of them were just early retirements, uh, you know, voluntary. So then suddenly you had this, you know, demand just start surging back. And then, you, you know, how do you get higher enough people in a market where, you know, I think the last I checked, there are 11 million job openings in the U.S. and nobody, you know, the companies can't fill them. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's creating a lot of operational disruptions. Um, and, you know, if everybody's going to Florida at the same time and all the planes are packed, I have, I could tell you some family friends of ours, um, they went to Florida a couple of weeks ago during the school breaks here and uh, they had to drive back. Their flight got canceled. Absolutely no seats available. The airline said, okay, you got to wait for tomorrow or two days. They waited, they waited. Finally, they just rented a car and drove back. So oh, wow. just, just tight, tight supply situation. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, just, can I just have a, a supplementary around that first point about the mask wearing? I think it's, is it April the 18th when it's the, the next decision date, whether or not masks are going to be required I, in public transport? I thought I read yesterday that, yeah, it was due to be at the end of, I think it's due to be this weekend. I'm sure I read, I, I might have got this wrong, that it's being extended until the first week of May. I thought I, I I'm pretty convinced yes, of that. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. That's correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because well, the point I was going to say was there's one community that probably really will benefit from when that is dropped. Um, and that's probably the flight attendants. Uh, the people that kind of have to police it. Um, and you know, it's the last thing they want on their job job sheet, really, I think, Jay. And you know, we've seen a lot of air rage incidents, but it's just an extra pain for them people to, you know, to, to have to deal with, as well as the fact that they're overworked because they're short-staffed in terms of the labour pool. Um, yeah. That must be really, must be really challenging um, for them. Yeah. Agreed. Um, just on, on, just also on the labour side. Um, so we know a lot of people kind of laid off and took early re uh, retirement. I mean, there's, there's so many different types of jobs in the airline industry from the people that just take the bags on and off right through to the pilots up in the, the front seat. Um, I would imagine for ramp workers, the training period is not that long, but for pilots, presumably like train engineers and anybody else, it is a significant period of training. Um, it's not a matter of just getting people off the street and it's just poach. Is there poaching going on between airlines to try and, you know, take those, those pilots that are there already trained up? Yeah, there's some of that, but poaching is very hard in the airline industry because every a lot of your pay is a lot based on seniority. So if you work for 10 years, you know, for United Airlines and you're ready to become a captain, and then suddenly you switch over to another airline, well, chances are you're going to get stapled to the bottom of seniority list and you get to So people tend to stay with their airlines, you know, forever <laughs> until retirement. Um, you know, that's that's not always. What you'll sometimes see for a while, this has totally changed, but for a while, there was a lot of movement. Um, people um, would go over to work for people in, in the US or, or in the UK. They'd go over to work for uh, a carrier in the Middle East, like one of the Gulf carriers, or where they were paying very well, or even in China or somewhere in Asia. Um, that was typical. That's, you know, forget about that now. But, you know, there's some of that. 
uh, where you're really seeing shortages. So the airline, the structure of the airline is a little bit strange in that a lot of the shortest flights are actually outsourced to what we call regional airlines. And sometimes the big airlines own the regional airlines and there's different you know, ownership. Show. But, but basically like some of the, most of these are independent companies. There's a couple of big ones. Sky West is, is the biggest one. They're based in Utah. And they do a ton of flying for United and Delta and Alaska. And, and that's where you really see the pilot shortage in those regional carriers right now. Um, you know, there's just their job openings at the big airlines. So, you know, they kind of get promoted up and it's, that's, that's where pilots want to be. So, um, that's a real issue right now. And a lot, a lot of regional, a lot of times when you read the newspaper, you know, so many flights are being canceled here and there. A lot of that, um, you know, it, it looks like United or Delta it's they're marketed under those names, but a lot of that is, is the regional carrier that's, that's, you know, having issues. So, you know, and there, there's a lot. Yeah. Sorry, on that on that okay. point, on smaller airlines taking over uh, some of those short haul flights, I'm I think I read recently that there is also a trend rising with busing. They call it on the ground flights, um, and I think American Airlines was one of the latest ones to adopt that model for inner city travel. And so, I guess my question is: Is this something that might stay? Uh, beyond the shortage of pilots and the rising fuel costs, or we'll see it go as soon as uh, the outlook is a little more positive? Yeah, it's a good question. Someone asked me the same question recently, ironically. Um, yeah, so, so American is doing a little bit. It's very on the margins. There's, a, there's just not, it works in a few places. You know, I think American is doing it from Philadelphia to, you know, Allentown, which is an hour away or something like that. You know, think about out west, like where you guys are in Texas. I mean, are people really going to take a bus from Dallas to Houston? From Dallas, I mean, you know, you guys know the geography better, but but it's 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 not. It's probably just niche. And remember, I mean, the, there's a bus driver shortage too. <laughs> you know, it's not so easy to find bus drivers. Uh, buses use fuel also. You know, so that's expensive. Um, so I think it's somewhat limited. Um, you know, there are people out there who, who, you know, think it's perhaps has more potential than, than me, but yeah, I think more of a niche thing. That's a good question. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's probably easier to get a bus driver than a regional jet pilot, actually, Jay. <laughs> Nowadays, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right about that. But, but yeah, no, think about curve, it, but yeah. we still don't have people applying. Recruiting is still an issue. And the company that I read of in the last couple of weeks uh, serving out of Philadelphia, and I, it may be Allentown, Bethlehem Easton, I think Atlantic City, uh, I believe the company is called Landline, if I remember okay. correctly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, That's and I'm not sure if it's them, but they've done some work up in Minnesota too for an airline called Sun Country. Is that yeah. them? Sun, Sun Country was, uh, was mentioned. I don't remember the locations. But that makes sense. That's where Sun Country is. But, but guys, let me tell you. So you obviously weren't attending last year's Outlook conference when David Lund, who's the chief executive of Landline, was one of our speakers. So, yeah, he so they worked with Sun Country for a few years and they have feeders from all these different little towns, Duluth, I think, all outside of Minneapolis feeding in. They oh. then then got business with United out of Denver, going to a couple of ski resort locations. Okay. And then American is their third airline partnership that they've 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 really pulled together. 
Um, I'm glad he's not here because he probably wouldn't appreciate my pessimism, but <laughs> there probably <laughs> there probably are some uh some yeah, some niche things. I mean the Denver to the ski resorts, you know. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's it's niche. Um but you mentioned da- Texas. So, you know, out of Dallas, there's a think American flight to about seven destinations that are less than 200 miles away with regional jets. Um, yeah. you know, some army bases, things like that, which have a regional airport. And, you know, with the shortage, not just pilots, but aircraft as well and slots at certain airports. You know, I, I, I think there may be, a, it might be a larger niche, niche but, yeah. uh, you know, I also... Multimodal transportation in the US is not like it is in Europe, where yeah. it's normal to get a, a coach or a bus or a train to actually connect to a flight. In fact, you know, it's usually, usually safer than risking the road conditions. I think, um, these, I think these buses are doing interline baggage and ticketing, though. So they're, I mean, they're trying to really step up their game. I remember Iceland there had a code share arrangement with Amtrak on the East Coast, you know, because they, they would serve like JFK in Baltimore, but uh, this way they could serve Philadelphia and so forth. So there's mm-hmm. there's lots of little neat ideas like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I believe Landline uh, is connecting within the terminal within security. And uh, I believe uh, bringing people into Philly, uh, security, and baggage has already been cleared and checked and they're delivering to the secure side. I mean, if, if I had to make a connection in Dallas to go to Waco or even Oklahoma City, you know, when I think about the connections I've made over the years and I always allow extra time for connections, <laughs> if there was a bus, I'd, I'd probably do that. Now, remember, I'm speaking of someone who used to drive them but uh yeah it would depend on the equipment yeah i would do it i mean the only thing i'd add uh is um they are a lot of these routes that we're talking about them these they're they're pretty small routes so allentown philadelphia you know you're really not talking to you know how many people a day actually do that yeah uh so it's the question is how many buses can you realistically schedule um, between those two uh, cities and, you know, you get into, you know, just, just issues of convenience and, yeah. um, but no, I mean, I, I certainly would, yeah, I'd have no, no problem jumping on a bus to, to make an airline connections. I mean, yeah, I've done it in Europe all the time and other places and in Asia. No, absolutely. But sorry, Adam, I just saw, you know, that that's okay. Yeah, you... I'm sorry. I, I need to dash. So uh, thanks for, uh, I'll, I'll let you carry on and I'll catch up with the later. video later. Yeah. Take care. So listen, just to, to close out the landline comment uh, or discussion, I um, uh, it, it's always interesting to look on their website. They now offer a different size vehicles. So right from kind of like town cars through oh, to okay. minibuses to larger mm-hmm. buses. And, you know, it's very sophisticated up in Minneapolis. And I think they offer more frequency than you'd ever get with a regional jet service. Um, so for me, it was just a fascinating model, um, maybe because... A bit like Arthur, I come from that road passenger transport background um, and mm. always see opportunities in the US where it's popped and non-existent. So, so um, anyway, so I guess we ought to say, I mean, we're coming up to, you know, towards the end of the, the session. Um, any, other, any other questions for, uh, for, for Jay? Yeah, Jay, re- regarding the uh, potential JetBlue 
spirit um, transaction. You know, do you see them as still separate carriers with separate levels of service? Do you see uh, JetBlue bringing spirit up in uh, service quality? Full disclosure, yeah. I've never flown spirit. I live on American. But okay. uh, do, do, do you see them bringing spirit up or JetBlue down? What, what are your thoughts at this point? Yeah, good, good, good question. And, you know, my, my initial reaction actually was that it probably would have been a good idea to keep them separate, to run sort of two separate business models and preserve spirits low cost. Um, they don't plan to do that. And my guess is the biggest reason is that it makes it's very hard to do that with the unions. So they don't want, you know, if you've got one airline, one management, they don't want a separate group of employees, you know, working at one airline, another working, they want everything integrated. Um, so the plan appears to be, and everything is still in flux, you know, once they're, I'm sure they're still working this through, but the, what they've initially said is that everything is basically gonna be JetBlue. JetBlue service, the planes will be repainted, they'll rip out some seats so you get more leg room. Um, all the workers will be you know, put up to the, the JetBlue contracts. Uh, so Spirit will essentially be no more. Now that'll take a few years to you know, that, that transition. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the plan. Okay, so Jay, do you think anyone else is gonna step in? Um, now Spirit seem to be this uh, much fancied suitor? No, because there, I mean, there's really not that many people left. I mean, the, the big, forget about, we call the big three, American Delta United. Um, they wouldn't even, it's, it's, it's a very big question of whether or not um, the Justice Department or I guess the relevant authority, be whoever the relevant competition authority is here is not going to allow this. Um, um, JetBlue is also trying to get um, Justice Department approval for an alliance with American. Um, and the sort of the atmosphere right now and the sort of the um, environment right now and these this kind of competition issues is very tense. There's sort of a, a bias, not a bias, but a, uh, a um, you know, sort of proclivity in the Biden administration to not let things get too over consolidated yes. yeah consolidated yeah. so um it might be a heavy lift to get certainly both of these done so you can forget about you know american united delta they're not going to step in that would be you know that would definitely raise alarm raise red flags so you ask who's left i mean alaska they're not really interested because they're more focused on the west coast and they swallowed another airline called virgin america and that was a bit of a tough swallow for them uh allegiant is another ultra law cost carrier they have a completely unique business model they want nothing to do with any of these. I mean, that's that that's a fascinating business model in of itself. We can do a whole another webinar on that, but they wouldn't be interested. You know, Sun Country is probably you know they're too small to swallow someone that much larger. But so so really, I you know it's it's really JetBlue Frontier. Um, yeah, and, and I, I can think I, be, of. I believe Jay, it couldn't be a foreign carrier because isn't there an ownership? I was just going to say, yeah, there's no far, there's the foreign, basically foreign airline can own, I think like 20% of an airline or it's, it's, it might be, it might be higher, the actual number of shares you can own, but in terms of what you can exercise, you know, managerial control, it's, I think 20% is the number. So 
the foreigners, you can forget that too. So much um, for WestJet, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. Right, and they got WestJet just got taken over right before, a couple months before the pandemic, I think. <laughs> Whoops. Well, <laughs> but, well, uh, well I, I was thinking of Viva Aerobus or someone like that, but of course, US carriers have been buying stakes in Mexican and South American carriers, um, Aviaca, yeah, for example. And... Right, and there are different rules in different countries, but a lot of those are small stakes. Um, they're, or they're strategic stakes, you know, like Delta has a, a pretty sizable stake in, a, in South America's biggest carrier called LATAM. Um, and that's for strategic reasons. Um, they, you know, they, um, they're not looking to, they're not ever looking to, you know, totally control the airline or buy a hundred percent of it. They just wanted to, uh, you know, we can want to go too far into their rap down that rabbit hole, but um, you know, LATAM was aligned with American Delta wanted to kind of steal them away. So they offered to basically buy their shares and whatever. So um, yeah, it's a it, it cross-border consolidation in the airline industry gets really tricky. You don't really see too much of it. Within Europe, you do, you know, France and Germany, but that's because from an aviation regulatory perspective, Europe is basically one. Um, even, um, I haven't seen the latest, but I think even the UK is still part of, even though they're not part of the European Union, anymore they're still part of the, the yeah yes. yeah yeah so yeah. it's it gets you know that's a different story there's been a lot of consolidation within europe um but the yeah, cross-border mergers they're few and far between in the industry so yeah maybe i'm you know there's always some non-airline that can come in you know maybe some wealthy investor or some you know elon musk, elon musk. <laughs> elon musk. after twitter he'll buy all the airlines now remember, you remember the old joke though. How do you make a small fortune in the airline industry? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> start with a large one. Yes, exactly. You mentioned <laughs> demand coming back and shifting from business travel, which is what I'm used to, to a, a leisure model, which also implies different types of destinations. How is capacity recovering to this? demand because capacity of course was significantly decreased during covid with the lead time particularly for flight crews as well as equipment you know unless they resurrect stuff out of the desert uh you know with that lead time how do you see capacity recovering where are we now you know i, I really haven't been traveling or, or flying during covid uh, just because my business went to hell. Uh, but where, where are we and where are we going with capacity? Yeah, okay. So, and I'm sorry, I don't have an exact number for you, but I can tell you that capacity is still not fully back to where it was pre-COVID. Um, my guess is about 80, 90% to where it was. Now, there are some airlines that are much larger today than they were in 2019. Most That's true of most of the low-cost carriers. So, um, most of the ultra low cost care, Spirit, Frontier, uh, some of the smaller ones. Um, now Delta on the other end of the scale is the one that's kind of, that's come back the least, so to speak. They're down um, maybe 70 or 80% restored. Uh, um, so they, so it's not back yet. Now, in a lot of cases, um, you don't have to pull planes out of the desert. You just increase utilization. Now, one where we didn't talk about it, but on my slide, I mentioned that one of the cost issues for the, now everything 
in the airline. The airline game is about unit cost. It's, it's really, it's you lowering your cost per unit. We call it ASMs basically. The amount that basically costs you to fly one seat, one mile. So right now, because they're, um, because demand is, is less, they're utilizing aircraft less than they were. This was especially true in the wide bodies because you can't, there is no demand to China. There is no Japan, no demand in Japan. So those wide bodies are just, they're, they're not getting a lot of use. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting on the ground for, for long periods of time. So as demand comes back, you just turn that utilization button off. You turn that lever. Um, there are some planes coming out of the desert. The, the leasing market is very active. So it's true if you call up Boeing and you say, you know, I want a new 737, that's going to take some time to build. But you can call up, uh, you know, something like 50% of all planes right now are leased mm -hmm. rather than owned. So you can call up a big leasing company like uh, Aircap happens to be the biggest one. They just bought GE's leasing company recently um, and say, hey, I need, I need some planes. I got demand is going to be, you know, my bookings are coming in really strong. Um, I need something for, for this summer. Uh, and they'll, they'll get you, they'll get you planes. Sometimes they'll take them from, you know, take them from China where they, where there is no demand right now, or they'll take them from, you know, some weak market. So, so there's a lot of fungibility. The great, you know, we talk about how miserable the, uh, the economics of the airline industry is, but one nice thing about it is that you can move assets around very easily, much more easily than you can say a factory, you know? So Florida's booming, fine. Just bring Florida's booming. San Francisco's not. Take some planes from San Francisco, put them in Florida. So it's, you know, you can do it. So is the crew supply keeping up? Well, that's, that's much more of an issue. That's harder. That's harder. And that's, you know, the right question to ask. So, you know, they're trying and they're hiring. Um, but they're, you know, we've seen from cancellations, like we talked about before, it's, uh, that can be tricky. Yeah. I, I was reading how American decided to retire their 757s and A330s. And then the, uh, eight, the 787 production stopped because of FAA problems. And so yes. now they're really gritting their teeth. And of course, it's crazy to try to bring the old planes back, you know, all the uh, inspections and the, the crew are no longer qualified and all that stuff. So they're just toughing it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Boeing's had a lot, lot of production problems uh, even before pandemic. They, you know, with the 787, great, fantastic airplane, probably the, you know, the best wide body out there in terms of economics. But uh, yeah, they've, they've definitely, a lot, of, a lot of production delays and issues having to, you know, rewire stuff and this and that. Of course, everybody's familiar with the B737 MAX issue. That's the, the smaller plane. That's back flying again. And that's uh, another, another fantastic aircraft in terms of the economics. I mean, airlines love it. Um, but the fact is you have a duopoly essentially in the aircraft, you know, it's Airbus or it's Boeing. <coughs> that's it. So oh, we may see some Tupolevs available. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know if the State Department will let you buy any, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah I've actually flown on a, a Russian aircraft once. I, uh, yeah, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Chickens? <laughs> yeah, yes, well, well, me too, but that's because I'm a airplane geek so oh, i kind of you know the aleutians and tupolevs and yakolevs so uh but so jay we we've kind of gone a little over our time so we've got some bonus material from you without asking permission so oh i'd just like to really say thank you so much for preparing <laughs> the talk today 
And I think we've probably had more questions than even on your talk. So <laughs> it just proves what a, what a fascinating kind of topic this is and kind of how informed you are of, of what's going on. So on behalf of everybody here, thank you for that. And um, we'll, we'll get this posted up. So please, you know, if you think other people that have missed today would benefit from this, let them know what a great session it was and uh, we'll share the link. So thanks again, Jay. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And yeah, thanks. Thanks to you guys. And yeah, always feel free to contact if you just want to chat or have any questions about the always exciting airline industry. <laughs> Will do. Never, never a dull moment. Eh? Never okay. a dull moment. <laughs> All right. Well, well, everyone. So just a final plug. Next one is going to be May the 12th. And we have another speaker, Rob McCanny, um, who's going to talk about microtransit. I can assure you it's probably more exciting than you could imagine. Um, and it's very, very relevant to us. And the case study that they're talking about is one I know quite well. It's actually in one of the Dallas suburbs. Fascinating about the future of uh, public uh, transit and mobility. So hopefully uh, see you all again in a month's time. Okay, have a good uh, evening, you. everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.